<clears throat> All right, well, let's read Psalm 23, a, a well-known passage that needs a little introduction. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him again in prayer and ask him for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you as as weak and needy sinners. We need your help with everything. We need your help, Lord, to understand this passage now. We pray that you would would be our shepherd, that you would lead us, uh, that you would speak to us this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of, the things, uh, one of the things my friends used to tease me about a little bit uh, when I was in high school and college and, F- and seminary is that I, I never rode on an airplane until I was like 26 years old. Uh, but the reason for that is, is, is a legitimate one, okay? My dad was like the road trip guy, like loved, you know, the open road was calling his name. So every time we took a vacation, you know, we would drive like 16 hours or, or wherever we were going. So I just, I just never rode on an airplane. Um, and so, you know, as time went on, this sort of, the airplane became like this unknown thing to me, you know, and I was always a little bit, uh, I just got a little bit nervous at the prospect of it. Um, I'm happy to report, eventually, I did ride an airplane, it was fine, I didn't have to breathe in the paper bag or anything like that, I, it was totally nothing to worry about. But my, but my friends used to kind of tease me, and they would say, you know, Gavin, it's just a, it's nothing, nothing special, it's just like a, a big bus in the sky, and I'd say, exactly, There's not, buses aren't supposed to be in the sky, you know. Um, but, uh, but eventually, like I said, I rode an airplane. It was fine. It turned out all my fears, my fears were just associated with, with sort of the unknown, you know. I, really, there was nothing to be scared of. Everything was, was fine. It was okay. And I think anxiety is actually a lot like that. It, it, we, we have, the, there's sort of the unknown, right? The, the, something we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so there's this sort of this fear of the unknown that kind of, uh, that kind of comes upon us. Um, this fear that, that this anxiety that at times can like consume our thoughts, that keeps us up at night. This anxiety that, that paralyzes us with fear, that, that adversely affects our health, you know, raises our blood pressure, makes us tense. Um, this is the kind of anxiety that um, we're going to be talking about today and next week. You know, anxiety is a problem that we all face from time to time, some of us much more than others. Um, Ed Welch um, is a Christian author, and I would highly recommend his, his books to you. He wrote a book called Running Scared, a book about dealing with how Christians are to deal with fear and, and, and anxiety and things of that nature. And he shares a few things about anxious people. Um, I just want to share a couple of these and see perhaps if they describe you, maybe some symptoms that you may exhibit. First, he says, anxious people almost always live in the future. Uh, they, they aren't enjoying the present, but they're always worried about what might be coming tomorrow, what might be coming next week, what might be coming 20 years from now. Um, that's, where, that's where they live. They live in the future. Anxious people, they, not only do they live in the future, but they, they see the future in like minute, gory detail. They see every possible bad thing that can happen and, and exactly how bad it's going to be, right? Uh, they, their imaginations sort of run wild. 
Uh, maybe this is starting to sound familiar to you uh, or someone you know. Third, um, anxious people, they don't listen to reason. Um, if you're married to an anxious person or friends with an anxious person, you know this to be true. Um, if not, you can just ask my wife. She will tell you what it's like to be married to an anxious person. Uh, you know, they, they don't listen to reason. We don't listen to reason. If, if, you, if you come to an anxious person and they, they share their fears with you, you know, some of them just, they make no sense. You know, that, that's silly. Why would you even worry about that? Um, but you can't, you can't talk them down from, from their sort of irrational fears. You can't talk them down uh, from those things. Um, so maybe some of those perhaps sound like you or perhaps sound like someone you know. Well, when we're talking about anxiety, there's perhaps no better place to go in the Bible than Psalm 23. Um, you know, when we're feeling anxious or fearful or worried, this is such a, a good passage for us to study. You know, it's probably the most read passage in hospital rooms. Um, and I think, as we'll see over the next couple of weeks, that there's, there's good reason for that. It's, it offers comfort. It offers peace. Um, to people who are anxious, to people who are um, fearful. You know, actually, I just finished reading um, a memoir by uh, Roger Ebert. He's a film critic. I don't know if you've heard of him. Film critic of the Chicago Sun-Times. He's the guy that kind of came up with the thumbs-up thing for the movies. Uh, I read his memoir recently, and and he's very open about, you know, he does not believe in God. He does not believe in the afterlife. He's very open about that. Um, And his memoirs were interesting because he went through a period in life where he, he... almost lost his life numerous times to serious cancer. And he talked about being in the hospital for months and how his wife came to the hospital. Um, his wife would come to the hospital every single day, and she would hold his hand, and she would recite Psalm 23. And he was like, you know, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of this stuff. But, man, it was comforting. It was soothing. It, it gave me peace. So here is a special, a special passage, a special psalm, a special poem written by David, that even, even a non-believer, you know, facing anxiety can find, you know, can somehow be soothed and comforted and, and uh, at peace from this passage. How much more, as we, we as believers uh, can find in this passage, how much more comfort can we find here? In Psalm 23, God is calling all of us, but especially those of us who struggle with fear, with anxiety. He is calling us to come to Him. He's calling us to follow Him. He's calling us to rest. And so we're going to be looking at that um, today and next week. And so today we're going, to t- we're going to talk about this idea, kind of, you know, this psalm is often called the shepherd's psalm. And the reason is because it begins with the famous phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And so we're going to, we're going to take that idea today and kind of look at three points that flow from the idea of the, the Lord being our shepherd. So I'll tell you what those are. We're going to, our first point is going to be that because the Lord is our shepherd, God is in control. Our second We'll look at uh, God gives us all the things that we need. And third, we'll see how God provides us with true rest. So first, the Lord is our shepherd. And that means that, among many things, that means that he is in control. We see this at the very beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, If he is my shepherd, then what does that make me? That makes me a sheep, right? That makes me a a weak, little, uh, dumb, defenseless sheep. I'm sure um, the the shepherd sheep uh, uh, motif is a popular one in the Bible. It's if you've heard, if you've been to church for any length of time, you've heard you know preachers and pastors talk about sheep and shepherds. Um, But actually, I I was as I was getting ready for this, I read this news story in the Associated Press. It's true as as far as as far as I know, it's true. Uh, The story that happened in 2005. This group of shepherds in Turkey. You know, they're watching this group of like 1,500 sheep, okay? And these shepherds decide, you know, it's, we're a little hungry. Let's go get some breakfast. And so they leave their 1,500 sheep on the hillside or whatever, and they go into town to get some breakfast. And uh, uh, 
apparently in the edge of this little area, there was a, a cliff. And so one sheep kind of walks to the edge of the cliff and, and walks over and falls off the cliff and dies. And then another sheep follows the first sheep and falls off the cliff and dies. And, and before long, all the sheep, it's just like a, 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 an exodus of sheep going off the, the cliffside like little lemmings or something. And, uh, you know, apparently the, the first 450 sheep or so died, but then they provided kind of a cushion for the rest of the sheep. So the rest of the sheep, this is a true story, yeah, the rest of the sheep fell sort of, you know, their, they, their fall was broken by the other sheep. Uh, but the, the damage, this was like the town's economy. I mean, all these sheep, this was kind of all the families in town had put all their sheep together. So it was like $100,000 in damage. It was, it was a big deal. But the point of that story, I think, is clear that, that sheep are not the, the smartest animals. Sheep are not the, uh, you know, they're, they're, they cannot be left alone. They can't, you know, even just for guys to go get some breakfast for a minute. Uh, they can't be left alone. You know, and this is the kind of animal that David is comparing himself to. And as we well know, David was not ignorant of what sheep were like, right? David was the shepherd boy, right? He was the, uh, he, he was the one out in the fields while his brothers were at battle. Uh, we read about his work as being a shepherd, watching the family flock. He knew that sheep couldn't be left alone. He knew how weak and defenseless sheep were. And yet when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, I am his sheep. Um, he, is, he is making that, uh, that claim. What does, a shepherd have to, what does a shepherd do for the sheep? Well, a shepherd, he protects the sheep from predators, right? He, he, as David says, I killed lions and bears, you know, to protect our family flock. Um, but the, the shepherd also provides them with food. The shepherd also nourishes the sheep. Um, he's tender with them. He, he leads them away from cliffs, apparently. He, he needs to. Um, the shepherd has to do everything for these sheep. They, they can't do anything for themselves. So how does this relate to anxiety? Well, anxiety often begins, I think, when we place way too much importance on ourselves, when we give ourselves perhaps too much credit and forget about God. Um, John Calvin, commenting on this passage, said that there is nothing into which we more easily fall than the forgetfulness of God when we are in enjoyment of peace and comfort. So when things are going well, when I'm enjoying peace and comfort, there's nothing that I fall into more easily than forgetting about God. And we, we've, that's a, a kind of a harsh quote, perhaps, but I mean, I think if we look at our lives, it's true. We, things are going well, things, everything is going well in life, the bank account looks good, the, the house is in good shape, uh, the job's going well, our children are behaving themselves, and we feel like things are going pretty good. We sort of get this illusion in our minds that, that I, I can handle this, I can take care of myself, I, I've got this. Uh, and so when something bad comes along, immediately we think, okay, something, this is, we've got to do something about this problem, whatever issue has come up, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to solve this? We've sort of, it's almost like the sheep coming across a predator or the sheep um, trying to go off by themselves and fend for themselves. The results are not good. You know, we do this when we, when we worry about money, when we say, you know, things are tight, how am I going to pay this bill? And we forget that all the money we have in the first place is, has come to us from God, that God has given it to us. Or when we worry about, uh, you know, we worry about uh, little Billy, and we say, our, my child, you know, my son or daughter, doesn't, doesn't, he, she, she doesn't seem to care about God. She doesn't seem to care about church. You know, what, what's going what's gonna to happen? Is she going to, how, how, how is this going to end? How, what, where is she going to go? Um, in life. We're forgetting that, that God loves our children more than we do. We're forgetting that God can overcome any stubborn heart. And so when, when problems come around, we, we immediately say, okay, what can I do? How can I fix this? Um, but God is calling, up, calling us to give up this illusion of control. He's calling us to follow him. 
He's calling us to take him at his word, to believe the basic promises of Scripture, namely, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is calling us to believe that. He's calling us uh, to, to believe that he keeps his word, even when our lives are messy. You know, Charles Spurgeon, also commenting on this passage, said the sweetest word in this entire psalm is the word, my. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, the Lord, it's true, he's a shepherd of all of his people, right? He's the shepherd of all of his flock, but he's also my shepherd. I think that's maybe why this psalm is so popular, because it's so personal. He's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. Um, it, it, It adds a sweetness to this. God looks at us and says, I'm your shepherd. You are my sheep. Your problems are my problems. I care about you. I care about what you need. I care about providing the things that you need. So the first thing we should do when anxiety creeps into our minds, when anxiety starts to threaten to overtake our hearts, we should orient our minds away from ourselves and onto God. Put our eyes and minds on our shepherd. We see this in the New Testament as well. One of the most famous passages about anxiety in the New Testament is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we learn there that, that God is mighty. He has a mighty hand and that God cares for us. And he calls us to cast our anxieties on him. But what's the very first thing he asks us to do? The very first thing is to humble ourselves. The very first thing is, is to approach him in humility. Uh, we are to approach him like a helpless little sheep approaches a shepherd in humility, um, seeking help, seeking um, a strong shepherd. So we see that God is in control. We also see that because the Lord is our shepherd, he gives us all that we need. You know, I think our, another thing our anxiety is often rooted in is often rooted in the idea that we're going to miss out on something good, right? There's this good thing and I'm not going to get it. I'm going to miss out on it or I'm going to experience this bad thing. You know, we, we may ask ourselves, you know, what if, what if this check bounces? What if the baby gets uh, some sort of bad sickness? What if my teenager gets involved with a rough crowd? Uh, what, if, um, what if my company is, is bought and I lose my job? Um, what, if, um, what, if I get, what if I get cancer? You know, we think we know what is, what is best and worst for ourselves. We think that we, we know all the, all the answers, and, and we think we know what we need more than a God does. Um, yet the truth is that our shepherd knows better than us what we really need. Our shepherd, and we have to trust our shepherd. We have to trust him um, at every new situation that life may bring. Look at the very, next ver- the very next phrase in verse 1. We see, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I will lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. We could almost sort of imagine a therefore being stuck in the middle of that sentence. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will lack nothing. I will have everything that I need. Well, what does the shepherd give us? Well, we see the answer to that in verses 2 and 3. Uh, David sort of follows this sheep metaphor a little bit further in verse 2. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, this is a very sort of, you know, soothing, you know, picturesque sort of image. We think about, you know, rolling green hills and prairies. We think about uh, sort of still waters and little streams. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's a very soothing image. It's a very soothing thing to hear. Uh, but I'm not sure. Obviously, we can't take this literally. I mean, we all don't live on 
We all don't live on uh, green prairies and uh, you know, green pastures and, and next to still waters. But what David is saying here is that just as a shepherd provides green pastures and still waters for his sheep, so God, who is our shepherd, provides his people with what will nourish us. He provides us with what we need the most. He provides us with the things that we need more than anything else. And what is it that we most need? Um, well, we see the answer to that, I think, in verse What do we see in verse 3? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, the word restores here could also mean, could also be translated as revives. So he is is giving life to my soul. He is giving me spiritual life, spiritual health. Um, He is leading me to righteousness. These are the things that we need more than anything else. These are the things that, that the Christian needs. The Christian needs spiritual life and health. The Christian needs uh, righteousness. These are the things that we need more than anything else. And our shepherd knows that. Now, we might say, well, wait a second, uh, Gavin. You know, my life really doesn't feel like uh, green pastures and still waters a lot of the time. You know, uh, my, my marriage is kind of hard sometimes. My job is kind of hard sometimes. My kids... Uh, misbehave. I, I, you know, I'm having trouble controlling my kids. You know, there's financial pressure on me, uh, and I just can't seem to escape it. You know, this is, it does not, my life does not feel like a gentle countryside scene, right? Um, well, David, I think, acknowledges that in this psalm. And as we're going to look at next week um, in verse 4, sometimes life feels like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't it? It doesn't always feel like green pastures and still waters. Um, sometimes it feels uh, really dark. Sometimes it feels really hard. But here's what this passage is saying. Here's what God is saying to us. He's saying we've got to trust that whatever season of life we may be coming into, whatever situation in our lives we may be approaching, this is where the Lord has brought us to nourish us. This is where he has brought us to restore our souls. This is where he has brought us to help make us righteous. Whether that be a hospital room, or whether that be seeing a marriage counselor, or whether that be struggling with parents, or struggling with friends, or uh, struggling with financial difficulties, or whether that be struggling with a boss who, who we can't stand and who can't stand us. In any of these situations, we have to acknowledge that this is where the Lord has brought us. This is where He has led us for the health of our souls and for our righteousness. We must trust that God has led us there for our spiritual good. And now that is, that is way easier to say than to do, right? That is a hard thing to do, to approach the, the difficulties, the pains in our lives, and it, it's to see that as, as a gift from God. It's hard to do that. Um, but it takes eyes of faith. It takes eyes of faith to look around at the stress and the difficulties in life and to say, I don't understand it. But right now, this is green pasture. Right now, this is still water. I don't, it doesn't seem like that to me. This is not where I would have chosen to put myself. But right now, this is where God has brought me to nourish me. This is where he has brought me to restore my soul, to lead me to righteousness. It's not easy to do that. It takes eyes of faith. But this psalm helps us. This psalm helps us do that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't like anything that I need. Everything I need. I have right now. And we see this truth also in the New Testament, right? Romans 8.28, For all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. 
When we're anxious, we are, we are arguing with that verse. When we're anxious, we are doubting that truth. We are saying, there is no way this situation that, that is God has brought into my life, there's no way that he can use this for good. Um, that's what we're saying when we're, when we're anxious, when we're fearful about the future, fearful about what uh, events may, may come upon us. Now, why does God do all of this stuff? Why does he, why does he lead us uh, to green pastures and still waters? Why does he restore our soul? Well, the answer comes at the very end of verse 3. He does this for his name's sake. Of course, he does it because he loves us, but he also does it for his glory. He also does it for his name. He takes sinners like us and turns us into saints, turns us into holy ones. He takes, uh, he takes people uh, who are, are broken and he fixes them. He takes people who are consumed with anxiety and he calms them and he soothes them. He gives them rest from their fear and worry. We get the peace and he gets the glory. But this is a process, isn't it? I mean, this is not something that just happens overnight. This, this change, this, uh, if we're anxious people, this, this change from anxiety uh, to trusting God, this is not something that, it's not like a light switch that we just immediately uh, flip, right? Um, I can attest to this. As I've, as I've already alluded to, you know, I've been a worrier for much of my life. I'm not sure if I came by that, uh, you know, honestly, like from my, learned it from my parents or where, I don't know where I got it, but I, I, I've been a worrier forever. I like to think that by God's grace, I am less anxious than I used to be, you know. Um, I, I hope so. I'm looking at my wife, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, I, but I will have to confess that while this week, while writing and preparing a sermon on anxiety, I was anxious about it, okay? So, so be encouraged. It is a process. It's not something that happens overnight. It is, not, it, it is a lifelong work that the Lord is doing in our hearts to cure us of our anxiety, to teach us to depend on Him, to teach us to trust in Him. I think, as I, I think I've shared this before. I, I absolutely love the uh, radio program, the podcast called This American Life. I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with that. Um, but there's this great episode called Unconditional Love. And each week they kind of have a theme on the show and they tell these stories from people around the country, around America, about life. And um, there was this one story, it was just heartbreaking, about this American couple that went to Romania to this orphanage. They wanted to adopt a child and, and there was this seven-year-old boy who had, he had lived in, the, the conditions were just awful. He had lived in this orphanage his entire life. He had lived in the same crib for his entire life, for seven years. He did not know the names of the adults who cared for them, the, the adults who cared for him that, that gave him food and drink and whatever. He did not even know their names. He had very little connection with any other people there. Um, there was one window that they could see out of in his room in, in this little orphanage. So this American couple comes up to Romania. They see this boy. Their hearts are, go out to him, and they, they bring him back to America, and they adopt him, and they, he becomes their son. And at first, everything is going really well. Um, at first, you know, he's really happy to be there. He's learning English. He's, he's, you know, kind of adapting to sort of American life and adapting to normal life outside of an orphanage, right? Um, well, after a little while, things start to, things start to go badly, um, he starts to throw these serious, serious tantrums. He starts to, to just be enraged. He starts to, uh, you know, his parents have to call the police. It gets so bad sometimes. And this is like, by now he's like an eight-year-old kid, and they're having to call the cops on their eight-year-old son because he's so violent. He's so angry. Um, and it, they, they take him to counselors and specialists and psychologists, and it turns out he has something called attachment disorder, which, we're, I mean, comes as no surprise based on how he was, you know, the first seven years of his life. But what that means is that he, he can't really connect to other people. Um, 
you know, this thing that he was supposed to learn as a, as a baby, as a toddler, you know, is broken inside of him. He, he cannot attach to other human beings. He cannot have, like, emotional relationships. So there's all sorts of different sort of controversial uh, methods of, of kind of trying to cure attachment disorder. And, and so that they start trying different things, and nothing seems to be working. So finally they, they meet this counselor, and he tells them tells them what to do. And it's just a kind of a weird thing, okay? But this counselor says, this psychologist says, all right, what you need to do, and by now the kid's like 10 years old, you have to establish this bond that should have been formed when he was a newborn with his parents. You have to like reestablish that now that he's 10 years old. And the way that you do that is for eight weeks, the, the child, this 10-year-old boy and his mother could not be more than three feet apart. For eight weeks, she, she took a time off from her work. She pulled him out of school. And so all day long, they would just three feet apart. You know, if he went to the restroom, she would stand outside the door. You know, and they were constantly together. And whenever they, like, interacted, whenever they talked, or if he had to give her something or whatever, they had, she, he had to make eye contact with her. You know, he had to, like, look into her eyes when they were communicating, engaging with each other. If he misbehaved, they would, uh, she would have to sit on the couch with him and, like, hug him for, like, five minutes. That was his punishment. For misbehavior, and he, you know, this kid like hates it. He just like he, he's like, I hate this. I don't want to do this. And he's, you know, resisting it every way he can. You know, his um, at at night, his his mother and father would like cradle him like a baby um, and like feed him ice cream like from a spoon. Uh, so it's kind of weird stuff. But they're trying to sort of, you know, teach this boy to depend on them. They're trying to kind of reconnect this bond that should have formed um, early in his life. But maybe the most interesting thing that they did was they, the boy was not allowed to ask for anything. He could not ask for water. He could not ask for an extra blanket on the bed. He could not ask for a snack. He could not ask for anything. And the reason for that is because they were trying to teach him that his parents were going to meet his needs. That he doesn't, he's not allowed to ask because he had to learn to depend on mom and dad. And so they do this eight weeks, and the, it, it goes it, it goes pretty well and they have to do it again later but eventually this it works eventually like this kid finally he starts to love his mother he starts to talk about his experiences at the orphanage he starts to share with him he his tantrums go away his anger subsides his violence goes away and it gets to the point there's such a drastic change that this was a jewish family and and, like by the time he graduated high school you know his synagogue like gave him some award for being this upstanding citizen, this upstanding young man, and he stands up at the, at the podium and says, I owe this all to my mother and father. I love them so much, and I wouldn't be here without them. So, I mean, this kid, like, becomes like a normal teenage boy after this experience. And that's what I think, that's what we see in Psalm 23, that the Lord, that we have to learn to depend upon the Lord like that. Like a newborn learns to depend upon its mother. Like a sheep learns to depend upon its shepherd. That's the way that we have to learn to depend upon God. We have to learn to trust Him like that. So we see, we, we see that He provides us with everything that we need. Um, we have to learn to believe that. So we've seen uh, that God is in control, that He gives us all that we need. Thirdly, we see that because the Lord is our shepherd, He provides us with true rest. I love the phrase in verse 2. Maybe my favorite phrase in this, in this whole psalm in verse 2. He makes me lie down. 
it's this beautiful phrase, I think. You know, the Bible, it doesn't just say to us, hey, don't worry, be happy, right? It's not just, the, the point of this passage in this sermon is not saying, all right, just don't be anxious. Um, we're supposed to remove our anxiety, and we're supposed to fill that void with something else. What are we supposed to fill that with? We're supposed to fill it with rest. And that doesn't mean laziness. I'm not saying we have to be lazy, not do anything, but rest. We're supposed to be trusting and resting in God. You know, the mind, I can tell you from experience, the mind and the life of an anxious person is like, do you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoon character, uh, the Tasmanian Devil, right? I mean, he's just like constantly swirling and, and going, moving all around, constant motion, never ceasing, never stopping. You know, that's like the mind and heart of an anxious person. That's what it feels like. Um, but David, what does David say? He says, the Lord makes me lie down. He makes me rest. He doesn't just invite me to rest. He makes me lie down. Remember, he's the shepherd. Um, we're the dumb sheep. He has to take us to the spot we're supposed to be and make us lie down and make us rest. And what kind of rest does God provide us with? Well, I mean, very basically, he provides us with physical rest, right? I mean, the way that God has designed every day. There's a part of the day that we work. There's a part of the day that we rest. Um, you know, we, we have to go to sleep. We have to rest to recharge for the next day. Um, so he provides us with that sort of in the structure of the day. Also in the structure of the week, right? We have you know, in creation, there's six days you work and one day you rest. Uh, we don't have time to sort of, you know, get into all the sort of Sabbath, Lord's Day stuff. What should you do? What should you not do on the Sabbath? But I think we can all agree that this, 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 the Lord's Day, it's meant to be a day that's different than the other days. A day where we rest. A day where we come to God's house with his people. A day that we are refreshed, right? So God provides us with, with physical rest each day, with physical rest each week. But, um, and you know what, this is a good reminder for us that we're not God, actually. Um, you know, God gets all the things on his to-do list done. He's the only one that accomplishes everything on his to-do list. We do not. We can't. Well, you know, we, we may do it every now and then, but we don't do it every single day. Um, the next time you put your head on your pillow, just remember, God doesn't have to do this. God doesn't have to slumber and sleep. Um, if we don't sleep, we'll be miserable and, and useless the next day. But God doesn't have to sleep. Um, he is the one who always works while we sleep. Uh, but more than physical rest, God also provides us with spiritual rest. He, he offers us an eternal spiritual rest in Jesus. Um, it's better than any other rest could ever be. Turn with me, actually, to as we conclude today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. A fam- another famous passage, two famous passages this morning. Matthew chapter 11, um, verses 28 through 30. These are the words that Jesus spoke. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is inviting us to rest in him. He is inviting us to find the rest that we long for. Whether, whether we are striving like the Pharisees that Jesus is interacting with, whether we are striving to earn salvation by keeping a long list of rules, or whether we feel like we're getting lost in the hustle and bustle of life, or whether we are consumed with anxiety and stricken with fear, He is inviting all of us, He's inviting us to come to Him to experience true rest for our weary souls. Jesus is calling burdened, anxious people to come to Him and to find peace, and to find satisfaction, and to find rest. And how do we get that? We get that by trusting in Him, by saying, 
you know, I don't understand my life right now. I don't understand why this has happened. I don't understand why uh, I'm going through this season or this situation right now. But Lord, please give me eyes to see that this is green pasture, that this is still water. You know, if we're trying to handle all of our problems alone, if we're trying to, uh, you know, take on too much and, and handle all of these issues of life by ourselves, we're just going to, if we're trying to worry our way out of every situation, we're just going to crash. We're, we're not going to make it. We're just going to crumble and fail. We can't live like that. We can't make it. God doesn't call us to be lone rangers, right? He calls us to be sheep. He calls us to be dependent. He calls us to, to be needy. He calls us, uh, he knows we are weak and defenseless and helpless. And he calls us to follow him and to rest in him. So you see, the Lord is my shepherd, it's, it's a, a, a beautiful phrase, but it's not just sort of a sweet little phrase that's meant to be cross-stitched on pillows, but if, if you have that, that's okay. Um, but it's, it, it is a powerful theological statement to say the Lord is my shepherd. The, the Lord is my shepherd means he is in control. It means that he has provided us, his sheep, with everything that we need. It means that he makes us lie down and rest. Now, why does Jesus, why does he invite us to this rest? Why does Jesus make us rest? Because he loves us. Because, as he says in Matthew 11, he is gentle and lowly in heart. And because, as he tells us in John 10, he is a good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd calls his sheep, and they hear his voice, and they follow him. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He, he lays down his life for you and me. The good shepherd gladly and happily lays down his life for us and promises us an abundant life, promises us a full life. He promises to give us rest in this life, but to give us an even better rest in the life to come, one that will last forever. He does all of this for us, so why do we doubt? If he does all of these things for us, why do we doubt that he doesn't, why do we doubt that he will take care of the other problems that come along in life? These things that, that consume us with anxiety, these things we worry about, why do we doubt that God We'll take care of those since he's done so much else for us. When we really approach the Lord in humility as lowly sheep to a shepherd, and when we really believe that he cares for us, then we'll be able to cast our anxieties on him and truly rest. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer again. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are our shepherd. We thank you that you have not sent us into this world, into this fallen world, this life alone, that you promise to be with us, you promise to lead us, you promise to take us uh, to places that we will be nourished, to places that will give life to our weary souls. You promise to lead us in paths of righteousness. Father, it's so hard at times to look at our lives that are messy and hard and difficult and to see green pastures and still waters. But Lord, by your grace, give us eyes to see that. Help us to see Uh, your protection. Help us to see your nourishment, your care for us each and every day. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.